0: and judges still. Today, we're actually jumping ahead just a little bit. We're going to be looking at Samson. So that's going to be fun. Um, In preparation, I got a haircut. (laughs) Actually, fun fact, um, I just hit four years at Church on the Rock being back here, which is pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. Uh, It's a huge honor. Um, And I was talking with my wife um, just about our first couple years here. Many of you knew me as a child. And it's a huge honor to be here, to share with you guys, uh, to pastor. Um, And that first year, uh, because I grew up with many of you in my life, um, a conversation that I had not every week, but more weeks rather than less, um, was uh, not one that I brought up, but other people brought up. And it would go something along how you doing? to see you and we would chat for a minute and then they would say, by the way, and then it was either a compliment on my hair because I had gotten hair cut and it was shorter uh, or someone would say, you know, your hair, you might, you might want to cut that. Like you may want it a little shorter or do something like that. So for all of you who have some thoughts about my haircut, I got a haircut. <laughs> um, we had men's chapel last week, Mark Guess shared, which was wonderful. Um, Something that I loved is he started out with some dad jokes. He inspired me, and I have prepared some for you this morning. Uh, My wife didn't really laugh at them, and that has not deterred me one bit. (laughs) Why did Samson try to avoid arguing with Delilah? He didn't want to split hairs. I know. I know. What kind of cell phone did Dalala use? Samson. <laughs> it was at this point my wife said, these are so bad. <laughs> and I know, I don't care. Okay, this is actually for a few weeks down the road, and I just threw it in. It's not about Samson, but I couldn't help myself. In a little bit, we're going to be at Ruth, Okay. So here we go. What kind of man was Boaz before he married? He was ruthless. Okay, and here's the last one. Samson was probably the best actor anywhere in the whole Bible. His last performance really brought the house down. (laughs) Okay, that's it for my jokes. I think the jokes actually are helpful because Samson is, I don't know, probably the most well-known story out of all the judges. Everyone knows Samson, especially Samson and Delilah. Um, seems like kind of a fun story. He's like the strong hero. He's got the luscious locks and the big muscles and he makes it all happen. And he's flawed, but aren't we all? And then his last you know, act, he takes out a bunch of Philistines and we feel like, that's pretty sweet. Um, bad news is, he's not really a hero. Like I thought about, he's like kind of like an anti-hero or like a reluctant hero or like I'm angry and it just turns out that God uses all of my anger to accomplish his purposes kind of hero. And actually, uh, you know, we have in Judges these cycles that, that happen that Aaron, you know, a few weeks ago. My mic just cut out. There we go. Um, where we have them in prison, things go bad, they repent, they need someone to get raised up, God raises up a judge, they deliver the people, right? And then some time goes on, and then it kind of repeats again, right? And so Samson starts out right at the beginning of that, they've been in prison to the Philistines for quite a while. Um, In the context for this, uh, Judges 17 verse 6, This is kind of the theme for all the Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Judges is helpful because we get to see what it looks like when society begins to collapse in on itself and slowly spiral downward time after time as it repeats these cycles. Not that we would ever need a reference point for that, um, but it's there in Judges for us. But we also kind of like Samson. Like, Because, you know, he's a person, and he has the hair. This story is a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say rated R, but, you know, it has some content in there. Uh, So what we're going to do is I'm going to go through the story. We'll make some observations, as I love to do, and then we're going to ask how we can respond to this. So uh, at the time of the beginning of the story, uh, the Israelites have been in prison to the Philistines. The Philistines are ruling over them for about 40 years. There's a man named Manoah. Uh, which is a great name, uh, and his wife, uh, while she's off by herself, has an angel appear to her, and he tells her, you are going to conceive a son, and now she's a barren, so this is, this is news to her, you're going to conceive a son, and he is going to begin to deliver the Israelites out of the hand of the Philistines, and also... You are going to make him a Nazarite for life, okay? Now, a Nazarite was a vow that the Israelites would take on, and it consisted of three things, and it was for the purpose of setting themselves apart for God. So they wouldn't cut their hair for the whole time. I've already failed. They would uh, not go anywhere near a dead body and handle dead bodies in any kind of way, and they would not consume anything from the vine, which includes alcohol, so grapes, etc., So the angel tells her, he's going to be a Nazirite, but not just for a time like a normal Nazirite. He's going to be a Nazirite for life, set apart for me for life. So this is news to her. She runs back to her husband and tells Manoah all this wonderful news. He's excited, and he also doesn't really believe. So he says, well, let's see, which this is kind of a theme in scriptures where the husband kind of goes, "Ah, I don't know, maybe. He says, if the angel appears to me, We'll go from there. So she's off alone again, and the angel appears again. And this time, she goes, actually, uh, could you—this is going to be awkward later. Could you hold on one minute? I'm going to go get my husband. So she goes, gets Manoah, and comes back with him and says, okay, here he is. And he's excited. Here's the messenger that's been sent from God. And so he says, what's the message? And the angel says, well, for the message, you can ask her. I already told your wife. So he goes, oh, okay, well, uh, why why don't you stay? Have dinner, we'll make a feast for you. We're going to make a wonderful meal to honor your name. And the angel says, I don't want to eat, but if you want to make a sacrifice to the Lord, you can do that. So Manoah says, okay. So he gathers things to make a sacrifice, and as he makes a sacrifice and the flames are going up, the angel gets brought into the flames and poof, disappears. It's at this moment that they realize it's not the checker, from Safeway that they know. It's an angel sent from God, not just some random messenger, fully sent from God. So Manoah has a little freak out. He thinks they're going to die. He tells his wife, oh man, we are surely going to die. We just saw a messenger from God. And she goes, I don't think that really checks out. He just came, shared this wonderful message with us. He already promised. He already told us what God was going to do. And she speaks sense to him, which I kind of like that she's the one that's like, You got to just cool it. Everything's going to be fine. So he says, okay, you're right. So some time passes. It's chapter 14. They have the miracle baby, right? She was barren. These stories are great. We have John the Baptist that happened like this. We have Abraham and Sarah. We have Jesus where there's some, an angel shows up and says, "A baby will be born, right?" So this guy's going to be awesome, just the best. So we have our first scene. It opens up, and Samson is strong. He knows he's awesome. He's heard this his whole life. How he's going to be the deliverer of Israel. And the first scene, he's out and about. He sees a Philistine girl which he's not supposed to intermarry with or do anything, have anything to do with. And he says, I want that. And she says that he saw it and she was right in his eyes. So he tells his parents, that girl right there, that Philistine girl, I want her. Go get her for me. They argue with him and they say, no, you you can't. Uh, God says we can't do that. And he says, no, I want her and I'm going to have her and she's right in my eyes. And so they say, fine. So they are engaged, he goes to visit the girl down with his uh, parents, and on the way there he runs across a lion, which he just says that he tears apart, like it was a small goat or small animal, for whatever reason, continues on, he gets to visit uh, his girl, and on the way back he finds some bees and honey in this dead lion, and he goes in, he gathers up a bunch of that honey, eats some, and brings it back to his parents, and gives it to his parents. And he doesn't tell his parents that had come from a body which already was unclean, but also he's a Nazarite. He's not even supposed to handle dead bodies. So they finally go down. He's doing wedding prep. Um, I've done wedding prep. wedding wedding prep for a guy she says out of these three colors which do you like and you say they all look good that's a wedding prep no I did actually for our wedding we, we used someone's land and it had to get cleared in mode it was a hundred hours of labor to clear that whole, the whole area in the middle of a redwood forest super fun besides that contribution there wasn't a whole lot so he's doing wedding prep and uh, he's alone. They notice he's alone. And so her family says, There's, he has no friends. So they go and gather 30 friends for him, 30 companions to help him prep the wedding. So all these guys are Philistines, okay? They're related to her or distant cousins, some neighbors. So they bring all of these companions and say, here, these are your friends. So they're hanging out. They're partying or wedding prep. And he says to them, I have a riddle for you. In this riddle, if you get it, I will give each of you a full set of clothes. Which at this time, clothes were actually worth quite a bit. It was quite expensive to get a full set of clothes. This is a big. This is a lot of money. Um, but if I win, you each give me a set of clothes. So he would have thirty pairs of clothing. So he gives them the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And so they're thinking about this. They take three days. They're going back and forth, trying to figure out what it is. They're making guesses. And on the fourth day, they snap. They're over it. They go to his wife-to-be, and they tell her, are you trying to bankrupt us? What is your problem? Your husband-to-be is the worst. And she says, I I don't, I mean, you made, I, I don't know. And so they tell her, we'll tell you what. You're going to figure out what the answer is for us, and if you don't, we're going to come back, we're going to burn the house down with you and your dad and all of your family in it. So think about that. Well, she does what she's got to do. So she goes to Samson, she begs, and Samson eventually concedes and tells her what the answer is. And so the 30 companions come back and they tell him, we have the answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson knows. He's so furious. And so he goes down to Ashkelon. He finds 30 Philistines. It's just a city near where he was going to get married. And he kills 30 Philistines out of anger. Takes their clothing, brings it all back, throws it at his 30 friends. And then he goes home to pout. Which is such a weird set of things to go together too, That he just killed 30 friends, and then he's at home pouting. He's home for a while. It's now harvest time. Everyone's preparing to harvest a field, so all the grain has fully sprouted. The wheat is yellow. And so he decides, you know what? I have this girl. She can be my wife. I should go down and, you know, be with her. So he returns back to her home, and her dad answers the door and goes, uh, what, what do you, what are you here for? What do you, you're not, wait, what are you here for? And come to find out that he thought Samson was done. So he had taken his wife and given the wife to his best man. The dad tries to make it better by saying, well, she's, she's, she's gone out, but you could, I have another daughter, uh. This is the guy that went down out of anger and killed 30 Philistines, right? So you can guess Samson's response, right? He's furious yet again. at These Philistines, these friends, this family, they're all the worst. So this is where we find out that Samson is the best, best fox trapper. Three counties, two states. He goes and collects 30 foxes. He ties their tails together. He attaches torches, and he sets them loose in the fields, destroying a ton of their crops. You can tell that things are kind of escalating, right? Step by step. Things are getting a little bit worse. The Philistines ask about, they find out what happened, that it was Samson. They say, oh, Samson, we know him. So they go find the that was going to be his wife, and they do what they had threatened to do originally. They burn down all the houses. They kill all the family. Samson is mad yet again. Right? Continues to escalate. He goes and slaughters a bunch of Philistines, an undisclosed amount, and then knowing that it's only going to escalate further, he goes and he hides. It says that he finds off and away a little cleft, a little rock, and he gets himself in there to hide away from the retribution he's going to face. Well, sure enough, the Philistines are really upset at this point. They begin some raids on the Israelites, and mind the Israelites are still under the reign of the Philistines. And so all the Israelites are upset. They gather a huge group of them to go approach Samson, because, I mean... He can do a lot of damage, right? So they get 3,000 men. They go find Samson. And they tell Samson, What have you done? Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is your problem? So Samson, one guy, caused havoc for the whole nation. So they go back and forth and Samson says, okay, I'll make you a deal. You can tie me up. You can take me and deliver me to the Philistines. But swear to me that you yourselves will not lift a hand against me. And they say, that's a deal. So they tie him up. They bring him to the Philistines. And when he gets there, he has a change of heart. He breaks, he's bound and he breaks all of it. And he starts destroying the Philistines He ends up with the bone of a donkey it says And he kills a thousand Philistines After killing a thousand Philistines He finishes the fight Whew, Man, that was hard And he tells the Lord Lord, I'm thirsty Is there, is there water? Can I have water? And out of the ground Water comes out that God provides for him So Samson has a drink of water Sometime later, that was all pretty rough, Samson is in Gaza, comforting himself with a prostitute, and the Philistines find out where he is. So they surround the house, they're going to ambush him. He gets word of this, and he breaks out of the house, he makes his way, destroys some men, makes his way to the gates of the city, picks up the gates of the city, lifts them off on a way, and places them on a hill. That's girl number three. That's girl number two. Now we got girl number three. This is the part everyone knows. Samson sees another girl. It's also a Philistine. He also says, it looks right in my eyes. This girl's Delilah. So they're together. says that he falls in love with her. And so the lords, there's five lords over the Philistines, they approach her and they say, we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you figure out what the secret to his strength is, which would mean 5,500 and pieces of silver total, which in today's money is 5,500 pieces of silver. (laughs) Thank you. I did practice that one to make the transition quick so that it would like work, you know? I was really proud of that one. It's a lot of money. So she goes up to him. She says, what's your secret to your strength? If you love me, you'll tell me your secrets. He tells her, if you tie me... Uh, with seven uh, bowstrings and uh, it will take away all my strength and I won't be able to fight back. And so she does that while he's asleep. She calls in the Philistines and then tells him, quick Samson, the Philistines are here. Look, who knew this was going to happen? And so they show up. um, He breaks the bowstrings. He defeats the Philistines and she's super upset because he lied to her. How dare he do that? Then he has short-term memory loss, so she asks him again. (laughs) So she's begging and pleading, and he says, okay, all right, fine, 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 fine. Okay, it has to be new rope. So seven pieces of brand new rope. It hasn't been used for anything else. You tie me up, and my strength will not work. So he goes to sleep. She calls in the Philistines. Samson, the Philistines are here. And he wakes up, he breaks the rope, and he defeats the Philistines. And now she's even more distraught. Oh, and she says why do you do this to me you don't care for me you've lied to me again and in a thought of brilliance he makes up another thing he says if you do heatless overnight curls no he doesn't say that if you tie my hair into seven braids and you put it in a pin so a really fancy pretty braid I will lose all my strength and so we go through this again she calls in the Philistines, Samson wakes up, says he says he takes the pin out, and his hair falls down, and then he beats up the Philistines, which I kind of like. I imagine him doing this. <laughs> you know, probably wasn't like that, but it would work in a movie if it was on like Pure flicks or something. So fourth time, this is the last one. This is the one we know. She begs and she pleads. She tells him, you don't love me at all. And it says that he was exhausted. And so he tells her, if you cut off my hair, right, he's a Nazarite. If you cut off my hair, I will lose my strength. So he goes to sleep. She cuts off his hair. Um, He calls the Philistines in. Samson, wake up. The Philistines are here. They come in and they got him. By this time, from start to finish, it has been 20 years of them trying to get Samson. And they are ruthless with him. They beat him up. It says they take pieces of metal. They gouge his eyes out. His strength is completely gone. They take him and they put him at a millstone, which would usually be some kind of cow or other uh, animal that would pull that around. And they make him, set him loose at this millstone. And that's his future. A slave. There's a little bit more, which we'll do here in a bit. But that's kind of a nice story. That is one of the stories. Again, right? When you think about it, just, I've heard the story a lot of times, but when I just think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, Samson, Samson and Delilah. My- this could have a fun story. When you read through it, it's brutal. It's kind of a downer, um, and then you get to the end, and you go, "Okay, so what do I what do I do with that?" Right, and that's true of a lot of the stories with judges. So let's make some observations together. I have four of them for you. Okay, if you're taking notes, this is note time. So first one, Samson was enslaved by his appetites. Samson was enslaved by his appetites. Samson had two major weaknesses. One was girls and sex and all that included. And he seemed to have no control over that. Um, And we know that destroyed him. He also had an anger issue, which probably was connected with uh, a want for control or power or something of that sort as well. Right? Those two things. He actually found his way to basically all of the things that were off-limits as a Nazarite, right? He is the ultimate story of "Do whatever makes you happy. Follow your heart." He sure did follow his heart. He really did. When you're reading the part with like Delilah and him, it seems so insane that that would happen so many times. That's what an addict, addict does. That's somebody who has no control. They've lost all control. Remember at the very beginning, he says, "She is right in my eyes." Right, we talked about this at the very beginning in Aaron's intro to Judges. Samson did what made him happy, and it really didn't turn out well. All right, observation two. Samson went unchecked by his community. Um, and In and, uh, YWAM, we would have lots of different... Uh, Uh, By Youth of the Ministry, or Youth of the Mission. In the ministry, we had uh, people who would come in all the time that were part of very, very successful organizations, um, uh, really famous speakers or uh, famous worship leaders. And there was one time we had uh, someone in town um, who was helping with something, and uh, it wasn't the best experience for me. Um, I didn't actually have to, I didn't work with him a whole lot, but I had a lot of my my staff that were helping uh, run an event that we did. And after that I went to uh, a couple of the other leaders and this is always a little challenging and I said, I I don't really have the authority to say anything, but I also don't know what to do because this, this guy clearly is very gifted. He's very gifted. But I don't really want my staff working with him. He's he, he has almost no character. He was demeaning in how he talked to people. He required all, t- all kinds of stuff. And by the end of it, everyone that was involved just wanted to run away. He's a Christian guy. He's even a leader. He's actually a leader of a, of a lot of different stuff. And so I said, I I mean, I have no accountability here with this guy, but For our staff, I don't think we should be involved. If he wants to do an event again, I don't think we should be a part of it. Just this guy outside connected with us. Samson has no one in his life who challenges him. Remember at the beginning, the very first scene that opens up with Samson is him seeing the girl number one. He sees her and he says... She looks right in my eyes, go get her. And his parents are really clear and they say, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. She's a Philistine, you can't be with her. And he says, well, I want her. You're gonna go get her. And we don't have more context, but they don't stand up to him. They let him do what he wants. He's still a young man at this point. In fact, that's the only time that we know his parents said anything. And there's only one thing that Samson gets called to account on. And it's the one thing that Samson had called, or that God had called Samson to. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock and said to Samson, this is in Judges 15 verse 11, is when he's hiding. And they say, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? So no one challenges Samson. No one tells him, uh-uh, this is not going to fly. You're really strong and your hair's amazing, but this is not going to work. No one does. They let him do whatever he wants because he's strong and he seems to be making it work. The only time a group actually rallies in opposition to him and says, Samson, you got to knock it off. It's his own community, his own people who are opposing him and telling him not to do the single thing he's called to do, which is to deliver them from the Philistines. They say, stop fighting the Philistines. You're going to ruin this good thing we got going. It's the only thing his community calls him on. Leaders do shape a community and a culture. But it also goes the other way. Leaders are also shaped by their cultures. And here we see a culture of the Israelites where apparently it wasn't that big a deal to anybody. In fact, the only thing they really seemed to care enough about was just maintaining the status quo. Even though it meant the Philistine rule. Number three, Samson got away with it until he didn't. The gospel is really, really good news. Jesus has grace and compassion and mercy. He frees us. He moves in our hearts. But it also doesn't free you from consequences. I have, I, have a, I know a few uh, friends over the years that have um, begun to follow the Lord and after following the Lord for a while they get convicted about something in their past that they had done that had legal action to it and so they made the decision to confess they went to the police and said I did whatever it was and they felt that's what they needed to do and they went to prison some of them for a year some of them for 10 plus years. I know a couple people who uh, committed murder. Um, and they went and they confessed. And they felt it's the right thing to do. So the gospel is good news. But there are consequences. And consequences actually are the mercy of God. Because remember when we when, we, when Aaron was showing the cycle, experiencing the consequences of sin is actually... Enables our hearts to respond and repent before the Lord, right? But don't we all do this? Samson is easy to relate to because he's human. He's also easy for us to say, that's not me, right? We find ourselves on a path where we've continued to diverge from the things that God has called us to do and actively do the things he's told us not to do, and we're able to look around and say, I mean, I kind of feel like maybe somebody knows, but it's worked out so far, so maybe it's going to be fine. And everything works out until the moment it stops. I had uh, one of my staff that I worked with that uh, was off on the mission field, and um, he was off in Asia somewhere, and uh, he ended up staying the night with a gal, there's that, and we had to bring him off the field. We had some debrief, um, had a bunch of steps set up for what needed to happen next, and he told me in conversation, he said, Drew... I was blind this whole time until now, and I can see every decision I've made for 10 years lead me to this moment. I don't know what I'm going to do now, but I need Jesus. Everything worked out for him until the moment it didn't. A moment of weakness, a moment of perfect opportunity for him to act out. Samson got away with it until he didn't. Joshua uh, twenty three fourteen, As they're taking the land, this is what the Lord had said to them. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground the Lord your God has given you. This seems to relate quite a bit. This is also a very, very long time before Samson is imprisoned by the Philistines. This is written way before. Thorns in your eyes, whips on your side. I know who that sounds like. And number four God used Samson to accomplish his purposes. You could insert still. God still used Samson. Samson's calling was to overthrow the Philistines. And this is where the the story picks back up. He's been uh, in prison for however long, long enough that his hair can grow really long again. So it says his hair grew again, and the Philistines are partying. They're having a party for one of their gods. So they make the decision. They say, hey, you know what would be great? Let's get that guy, Samson. We'll bring him up here and we're going to mock him and mock his God. And it's going to be the best. So they go get Samson. They bring him into this banquet hall, which this banquet hall is perfectly designed to kill everybody inside. So Samson's in there. They're making fun of him. He's still weak. He's a poor, old nothing and so he asks fatigued asks if he can rest on the two pillars in the center of the room so they place him on the two pillars right and he prays to God and says God please just one last time please give me my strength back so his strength returns the spirit of the Lord comes on Samson he pushes the pillars out and the whole thing collapses in on itself. At the very, that first scene with Samson, when he sees that first girl and he says, I want that girl. There's actually a verse in there that says that his parents didn't know it, but God was going to use his desire for this girl for his purposes. And here we are again. It actually tells us that Samson, that one time when he pushes the pillars out, he killed more Philistines during that time than he did in his entire lifetime. It's equivalent to the amount of people that passed away in the World Trade Center. So he takes out the Philistines. Samson's birth, his life, and his calling were not an accident. God was willing to use a man of compromise, and he even called him before he was conceived, right? He sent the messenger. He's a man full of horrible mistakes. (laughs) You know, I used to read Samson, like the Sunday school version, and I would read this part. And it's like the superhero movies, which I don't want to give any away if you watch some of the Marvel films or something. But the superhero films where you get to the end of the story and the hero sacrifices himself for the good and he, he dies, but everyone lives. It always feels like a bummer to me. I'm like, it would have been a great story if the hero lived. Or like, I don't know, injured really bad or something. I always felt disappointed in this. I'm like, oh, the hero dies. Shoot. Samson. But the hero I wanted Samson to be is an illusion. Samson actually isn't really the hero in the end because he was never the real hero. God is. Samson killed out of anger the whole way along. And I kind of, I kind of imagine, you know, the whole way through, God ends up delivering the Philistines like he promised through Samson's disobedience and enslavement to sin, what would have happened if Samson had been obedient and said yes. You think about that kind of story that would be. It would be incredible. You can do it the easy way, or you can do it the hard way. So how do we respond? Right? What do, what do we do with that story? We have a story, even if you had never read it, which is entirely predictable, you know how it's gonna end, right? Even if you had never read it, as soon as it gets to the part with Samson, the very first scene, you think, ah, shoot. It's completely preventable. He had so many outs. With Delilah, can you imagine that third time? right before he finally told her the truth and he just said you know what I can't do this and repented I don't know either but it would have been better and it was completely unnecessary he didn't need to be disobedient to accomplish the will of God in fact God specifically told him to be a Nazarite to follow him this great irony of of Samson is that he keeps saying it looks right in his eyes but he's spiritually blind and he ends up physically blind. We have a man that is incredibly strong that can do all things and yet he's actually spiritually weak and he eventually becomes physically weak. We have a man who is supposed to be a judge that's powerful and just, that follows God, that is actually enslaved to sin, and eventually he's enslaved to his enemy. God accomplished his will, and he was going to do it either way. And Samson took the hard way. So I actually think this is a great story. I think there's two things. There's a lot of things we could do, but I'm praying about this. I think there's two great responses for all of us this morning. The first is repentance. Okay, I said this a couple times. Samson is easy to relate to because Samson also is easy to dismantle Um, because it is a wild story with wild events that is very difficult to relate to when you think about the actual events. I don't think the last time you were angry, you killed a thousand people. Anybody? No? But what we can do is we can look at times that we're angry and we act out. We can look at the fact that he was enslaved... Enslaved to greed, lust, pride, self image, addiction, power, work, success. The story you're meant to finish and go, Well, that's that's not me because that's like a really, really extreme version, and yet at the same time, if I examine my own heart and if I'm honest. I act impulsively out of my own insecurities, out of my own fears, out of my own reluctance to come before the Lord and say, I'm weak and needy, and I need the supernatural power of God. So we can repent. And the second thing is, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. You know, we actually have someone else that was foretold. By an angel, that a baby would be born, that he would have super strength, that he would free the people. In Acts 3, Peter's preaching to the Israelites, and I'm just going to read it to you, and you can just respond to the Lord as I read this. This is uh, in verse 13, so Acts 3, 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man... man, whom you see and know was made strong. So good. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Here we have the true judge, Church on the Rock. We have the judge that is blameless, that is perfect, that stands before us and does convict our hearts. But does it an invitation and empowerment We get to come before God and say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need your empowerment in my life. And this story should make us honest with ourselves. Because you get away with it until you don't. The consequences, God extends mercy after mercy. And there's a time there's a time that comes that the consequences, it's done. It's, it's locked in. The invitation to repentance, I say this all the time, is, is actually joyful repentance. There's mournful repentance and there's joyful repentance. It's actually the act of coming before the Lord in acknowledgement of his empowerment. And we get to say, Lord, search my heart. Jesus. So what role will you play in God's story? What role will you play in your family? What role will you play in your community? Why don't you guys stand? I'm going to pray for us. So I, I just thank you this morning for your spirit. I thank you for your empowerment. And I thank you, Jesus, that as it said, Jesus, that you give life. That those that come to you, it's like living water. And so we acknowledge this morning, Lord, that we are in need of you and that we love you. Would you search our hearts and know us? So, Lord, this morning, we say we want to love you more. Would you move on our hearts this morning? Yes, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Lord, I just want to acknowledge your supernatural power to speak to our hearts, to invite us, and to empower us. You are here this morning. You're speaking and you're working, and we say yes to that. We thank you, Jesus. We ask that you bless us as we worship you. We lift up your name. We say, holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Let's worship together.